I'm just free now. I feel mm-hmm. like I, I'm not, I don't have handcuffs on me. I, I'm not like bound to these expectations that like a, a society or a career or a sport can put on me anymore. Um, it's freeing post, you know, uncoupling. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Uncoupling. I'm your host, Holland Roden, and this is the podcast where we talk about breakups, but more importantly, how to move through them with self-empowerment. Today, we have Colton Underwood joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. You are welcome. We are really happy to have you. We love Colton Underwood because he was a former bachelor. He's also an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a former NFL player, and most importantly, an author. Yes. <laughs> he, I'm going to read this so I don't mess this part up. He is obviously a major advocate for mental health awareness, and he launched the Colton Underwood Legacy Foundation, where the foundation was supporting organizations around the legislation called the TEAMS Act. Yes. That would give extra aid towards on-campus suicide prevention by implementing and providing extra funding to mental health programs catered towards student athletes. Yeah. Student athletes. I hope we're going to get into this as part of your story today because I think there's a lot to unpack with this idea of uncoupling around student athletes. But most importantly, we are here to talk about self-uncoupling today. And we define that as... Basically, parting ways or gently breaking up with parts of your past self to bring your life in a new direction. Colton, how would you define self-uncoupling? Oh, gosh. I mean, I am I feel like, you know, these last three years for me since I've come out, I've just been a long journey and process of self-uncoupling. Um, just picking and choosing, like, what parts of myself are true to me after being in the closet for so long and having to really like sink my identity into things. Sports is one that I loved hiding behind that identity Mm. of an athlete and a football player. Um, I still love sports. I was saying one couldn't be the other. Right, 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 right. So it's like finding, you know, finding what I love and what parts I feel comfortable leaving in the past Um, and sort of having the courage and, and being able to speak up and advocate for myself and just say like, this doesn't make me feel good anymore. I'm, you know, sort of have to part ways with this habit or something that I'm doing here or there. I think that's sort of my definition of uncoupling. Mm. I love the aspect of hiding behind something that you think is different than how you really feel, but in reality, both are simultaneous truths. That you are an amazing athlete, that that's always going to be a part of you, but that if you hid behind that, that meant you weren't something else. Yeah, I think what was sort of confusing for me and and why I think I stayed closeted so long was I was a, I was a walking contradiction and I really did not know that I could be gay and also play football and mm-hmm. be good at it. And you know, the the representation was one thing that you didn't see a lot of queer athletes at the time, especially, you know, male queer queer athletes. Um but it sort of confused me too because then I was like, "Oh, I can be attracted to women, but like, I don't prefer it, but maybe I just, I have to lean into this because like, if I want to be good at sports, I need to be straight. And by the time- And that was a narrative that you just had, you didn't have any modeling growing up to know And by the time you know it, you're you're 28 years in and you have all of these sort of webs of lies and manipulating situations because you're like hidden and in the closet and you're suppressing a part of you that is human and, and- so important, but you did it to survive and to have mm. a good career. And yeah, it, it was very tricky. 
and and it's like hard. you were not a reliable narrator in your own head no. of trying to navigate how to live your true self. Totally, a lot yeah. of rewrites for me. <laughs> a lot of rewrites. So, is there um, is there something you consider yourself uncoupling? Like, is there a particular what aspects do you feel like you've had to self uncouple? I think. <sighs> I don't know if there, there is like a specific example I can give right now or off the top of my head. I think there is a lot, a lot of me. I'm a little bit more in touch with my feminine energy. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like any time that there was anything that I wanted to do that was labeled feminine, feminine. or mm-hmm. it was more of a, a women's tendency, I would shy away from because I didn't want to be exposed in the locker room. What's an example of that? Leaning into fashion, which I know nowadays is more socially acceptable for athletes, but like when I was playing, it was not. Mm. Um, leaning into fashion, just being emotional, being able to cry, like you're sort, you're built and wired as a player to like not let people know in that the locker getting room. To you. Like when you would lose a game, did you just feel? But you're supposed to be angry and upset. And I was like, what if I want to like be sad and cry? <laughs> And like, uh, you know, at times that happens and you get to see it a little bit now thanks to, you know, social media and people, you know, being a little more authentic and, and vulnerable and vulnerable. In a setting. Mm-hmm. That was definitely one for me is like I was definitely an emotional and I had a lot of feminine energy um, and I had to really suppress and really check that a lot because I didn't want that to sort of distract or to take away from me as a player. Did you feel like once you got in the car after those games, you could at least break down to your parents or you'd go, but, or, or is it one of those things like you'd go to your room and just have a moment with yourself? Yeah, no, it was my room, you know, and I watched a lot of Ellen. <laughs> I was oh. like, I was like up till midnight, 1am just watching Ellen videos. Like I like very much did Like the dancing at the beginning of her, everything, like the interviews, All everything, like her stand up. heartfelt stuff. I was like sobbing at her, like presenting checks to people who need it and amazing, making amazing surprises. Like it, like, I don't know. I, that's just like a random example, but I like, that was how I did, you know, my, I had my emotional moments it was definitely in private. My, my life was very, Football was my identity 360 to my family, to my friends. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew me as that, and I wanted to keep it like that, um, which gets lonely and isolating. You had to separate two different parallel lives very early on. Yes. Of this, like you said, this autopilot of I grew up with a lot of siblings that are all in um, very competitive sports from a very young age. So yeah. growing up on that timeline of like eat breakfast, you've got practice after this. When are you going to yeah. do your home? It was just that on a loop. Totally. I Structure in my schedule is what allowed me to hide through everything. Um, being able to have an excuse that I had to get up at 6 a.m. to go train. So mm, I'm not going to go distractions. out Distractions. Distra- yeah, I had, I had plenty of excuses to be able to hide any part of me that I wanted to. I do find it interesting, though, that you are such a mental health advocate and philanthropist, really from college on. I mean, you were really involved. And then as a kid, empathy... And that dopamine hit of someone elated because they're a massive problems getting fixed in their life yeah. by a paycheck or being noticed. Yeah. That's such an interesting parallel between when you were a kid and that was your outlet was empathy to other people. Yeah. And that that surprise, we're going to help you. And that's what you connected from Ellen to what you do as an adult today. Totally. I think, yeah. you know, and there was a lot of there was a lot of me that probably was jealous and envious that I could not live the life, you know, that mm. I got to see people living. Um, 
you know, even like our mutual friend Colton Haynes. Like, yes, you know, like it, I, I remember, um, I remember watching queer people from afar mm-hmm. and saying like, oh, that looks so fun. Like I just Aww. wish that like I could have that experience, but I knew I couldn't in my mind. I could not keep playing at the highest level that I wanted to play football at and and be like that. Um, so there's many, many examples, many, many people that like I would never like f- even follow on social media. And social media was new while I was in college, but um, I really so was aware. careful. I was so aware. I was so yeah. I was so strategic and I was so, I mean, I, manipulative and, and like all these different things that I had, I felt like I had to be in a way of defense, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, yeah. I, I would say your biggest self-uncoupling was just not lying to yourself. And and not restricting your urges, yeah, and uncoupling from restricting urges, right? Yeah, I mean, and just trying to control every situation. And I think like that's been one of the bigger mm-hmm. uncouplings that I've had is like letting go of control, and really sitting with like what is meant to be is meant to be. I cannot control this anymore. I don't want to control this anymore because how boring is that when you're controlling every <laughs> aspect of your life? Like, of course, it sounds there's... really stressful too. Yes, really anxiety. Like my life was so compartmentalized. I had this group of friends for this. I had, you know, my college friends and my high school friends and my football community, and then my my Christian community. And I never would let any of them meet Bleed each other over into each other. Right? Yeah, because right. I wanted to be able to like pop in and out you when had I needed to. Many different Coltons. You're like, I'm putting on this Colton hat today. Yes. Wow. That. Yeah. That's a lot for someone to manage. Yeah. That's a lot. So that's what was life. That was life before uncoupling. Yeah. How did that change when you decided to uncouple so many different attributes that were, you know, the control, the urges, like just not having to think twice about what you're saying, about what you're doing, about the kinds of activities you're suggesting. I mean, how, what was life before and after, I guess, is the, is the. I think like I'm just free now. I feel like mm. I, I'm not, I don't have handcuffs on me. I, I'm not like bound to these expectations that like a, a society or a career or a sport can put on me anymore. Um, it's freeing post, you know, uncoupling. And I, I say that and it's only becoming more freeing because I'm still very much in the process. I, I really believe like uncoupling with my own identity and like what I believe in and what I stand for is going to continue to change throughout my entire life. It's healthy to uncouple with things. Mm -hmm. It's healthy to grow. And I think our society today, and this is what's contributing somewhat to the mental health crisis that we're in, is we really don't allow people to grow. We sort of, we condemn them and we shame them for a mistake that they made, but you only know what you know. Mm. And I think for me, after experiencing what I've experienced and growing as a human being and growing in myself... I think that I really understand now, like, you know, people and humans aren't meant to be perfect. And if we keep trying to make them be perfect, it's only going to contribute to our, pro- to you know, the spiral right. and the mental health crisis that we're in. Was there a particular time in your life where you said, okay, I can't take it anymore for a plethora of reasons? Was it a, a friend group? Was it a, a, an event in your life that you said it's time to make this change? For me, there was... It was like the perfect storm. It, you know, I, I came out basically right after COVID, during COVID. And mm, I think and that's such a time of isolation. Yeah. And it was, you know, coming out of a, a breakup there, dealing with the press storm. Oh. I just had my book out. I had the 
tabloids obviously wanted to know anything and everything. I, which was, is kind of the worst uncoupling you can ask for to a have a very public uncoupling yeah. um, with myself. And you know, I, I th- thankfully I moved in with my dad, and he sort of took my devices for two and a half weeks during Aww. everything, and really saved me. Um, I was abusing medication, and I sort of turned that over to him. I mm-hmm. went and saw a psychologist. Was it anxiety? It was anxiety medication that I was abusing. Yeah. I wonder why. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and it was confusing then too because my my coming out situation, um, the way that it happened, just there was there was like somebody that had pictures and blackmailing and I had to come out to my professional team before mm. I came out to my family because they had to like make sure that it didn't come out. So that also played tricks on me and I was just like, what? And I think unnecessary shame. And that I you felt were very doing ashamed. something wrong. And then I had to like try to open up and thank my dad for like stepping up and being like, thank you for taking care of me. But I couldn't tell him the full truth because I wasn't ready yet. <sighs> so it's like, you know, I was telling him half truths and even that was confusing to me and carrying amount of shame on that too, because I'm like, I wish that I could tell you everything right now, but I can't. You just have to like trust me. But then like I'm asking to move back in with you and you sort of help me. It was that's so was many tough. angles. Yeah, it was it was tough. So like now that I'm on the other side of it, I just like really have an appreciation for like the the younger me and I definitely can mm. recognize things that I could have done better. But also like what what was thrown on my plate as just a human being? It yeah. was not fair. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it just I didn't have the right support system set. Yeah. But I just think misplacing self-shame and self-guilt, like you're a criminal, like you've done something wrong, like the kind of shame that one would think about um, betrayal. It's not necessarily betrayal to other people if you're also doing it to yourself. So it's like shaming yourself for feeling like you've literally done something wrong externally to other people, but... It's really just a misguided path within yourself. And that totally unfortunately there are going to be collateral there's gonna be collateral damage of hurt feelings outside of you. Yeah. But that's not that doesn't necessarily mean you did something wrong when you've been misguided societally from when you were a child. And this doesn't just apply to you, this applies to right. so many other people. Yeah. And I think like one thing I've learned is like I I think it is okay at times to feel shame as long as you can grow from it. Mm-hmm. Um I think it is a healthy, especially for queer people coming out in my experience, like, you know, everybody experiences shame and, and hurts people in their life. Whether, you know, people thought that you should have trusted them earlier. There's, right. There's, oh, there's that aspect there's that too, that aspect right? too. And, right. and it's like, you know, even my mom, she's like, why didn't you tell me earlier you're going through this? And I mean, you build up a, a number of reasons in your head of why, you, like why you chose to keep it from literally the two people who brought you into this world. But like, that's part of the culture that I was raised in, in the Midwest and athletes Athletes and and religion and on all these things. Like I just sort of gritted my teeth and tried to get through it. So the people you felt most comfortable sharing this news with first. I had the most to lose with them. So Mm -hmm. I think like that's, that was sort of in my head as like, I wouldn't be okay if like they would have walked. So I didn't even want to make that an opportunity or a choice. Who was the first person that you, for lack of a better term, came out to? Yeah, I came out to my mom. <laughs> Your mom first. And she was the best. She actually had 
And your parents um, are still married. No, they're separated. They're, not, they're separated. They separated so. in college. And then, so I, while I was going through all this, I moved in with my dad to take care of it. I was, my, my mom and I are more friends. Okay. Than a mother. And, and she's heard me say that before, so she won't be offended. <laughs> we have more of a friendship than like a mother-son relationship. Okay. And I love it. Like, I wouldn't change it. It was weird at first, but now I'm like good with it. <laughs> but I came out to her and I kid you not, I was not publicly out at the time. And we went for lunch the next week and she already had a rainbow sticker on her car. And I was like, mom, Aww. I was like, granted, she lives in, in Denver. So like there's no paparazzi or no photos going to be taken. But right. I was like, it was like sort of cool. But at the same time, I'm like, no one else sure? knows. I was like, you can't like, wh- how are you going to explain this to your friends? Like if they see, she's like, I'm an ally. And I was like, okay. Great. You're an ally. And she's the best. I really like. Well, she had your best interest at heart, yeah. even if you're worried about a million other things. Dad doesn't know yet. Right. Um, you, you know, you had to come out to your team because of a my logistical coaches, situation. My coaches were even harder than. And I think like that's also why I'm doing the work that I'm doing for, for college athletes now. I actually put more pressure on coming out to my coaches than I did my parents. Why do you think that is? Because I sort of was trained and brainwashed to like really make them proud throughout my entire Mm. career. And that meant not making them proud. Yeah. Yeah. It it meant, yeah, for sure, deceiting or feeling like I lied to them for the four years that I played for them. Um, But yeah, it's so interesting how we view a lie. Yeah. When sexuality and (laughs) athletic performance have genetically nothing to do with each other i know i know and it's you know it's wild to me that i think that's just a testament to to show what was going on in america are you an 80s baby no 90 90s baby 92 baby uh that that's still going i was mid 80s mid to late 80s and in in an early 90s baby is just inherently put on this like path that has a certain current going a certain direction. Yeah. And, you know, you weren't really aware of what was happening until you were already in the current down the river. Yeah. That's such a great way to put it. Yeah. So it's not like you set up the current. It's not like you dug out the river. You just were another pebble, you know, you're another another salmon just running the river. It's, you know, when I look back, it it really was the perfect storm for me, you know, of growing up in the church, growing up Mm. as an athlete. Growing up in the Midwest, as I can say, you know, I know for a fact is different. And then, you know, sort of getting to see social media somewhat in college was a little, you know, becoming envious and seeing YouTube and watching, like I said, Ellen and all these. So social media was a big outlet for you in general. It was just representation. The year that I entered the draft, um, Michael Sam was in the draft as well. So Michael Sam was the first out openly gay player to like enter. Michael Sam. Yeah. So in and And how old were you when he was entering the draft? We were the same age. Oh wow. So we were in the same draft class. You can see how much I know about sports. (laughs) Right. So what was interesting for me is I had this guy who was like a trailblazer and and gay and out and the media publicly was so accepting and like loved following the story, but I was in another locker room. So I got to hear sort of the bullying that went on behind the scenes. And no. that was what was a little eye-opening for me is like, I was like, oh, this this guy should have been able to get me out of the closet. And instead he drove me further in because the You're way that- You're hearing the reaction. Privately. So it's just, the public it, right. reaction was all okay and supportive. 
for the most part. There was definitely some, he still had to go through some unfair statements and things, but. You're seeing the real, the real story behind the scenes of personal reactions. And you thought this is, it just reaffirmed why you had nine personalities and, and it pushed you further. And so how old were you at that point? I was 22, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, 22 when I entered in playing football. And how old are you now? You're, I should I'm be 31. Do, 31. 31, yeah. And that then I was, was like 20. That was only nine years ago. Yeah. That's not even a decade. Yeah. You've had, you've, you've really. I feel like I've lived three lives. That's uh, the easiest way to put it for me is like I've lived my football life, I've lived my bachelor life, and then now I'm living my out life and my yeah. best life. You're, yeah. So. Your life where all of the. The, the paths can come into one. Yeah, but that's also why I'm like I'm uncoupling. I'm uncoupling like the parts of me from my sports. I'm uncoupling the, you know, the bachelor days. Like I think it confused a lot of people that I ended up on that show. And it's like, well, I really truly believed that I could become straight. You know, you, you, you end up in places in your life and you look around, and you're like, how did I end up here? But like, I'm glad I did, you mm-hmm. know, because it, it was the perfect time. Do you think to- being on The Bachelor escalated you to the point in your life where you said, okay, I, I really am, you know, I have some attraction to this gender, but this gender over here is, I think, where my heart really lies. Do you think it escalated you to that point? It put you in a pressure cooker or do you think The Bachelor was a distraction? No, I actually think The Bachelor was really confusing for me because mm. like, you know, as someone who is already struggling with their sexuality, you know, it just confused me even more. I was like, wait, I actually can be attracted to a woman. And then like, what does Uh, that mean then for my sexuality? I still identify as a gay man, but like I can find a woman attractive. And so it it made me spiral even more because I'm like, wait, am I sure? And you know, like it started as like, it was easy when I could tell myself like, this is the way that I'm going to do self-conversion therapy. And like when I get engaged, I'm going to commit more and more. And then it's like, oh, you actually start believing something. It just was like, you know, it it just, it was really confusing. (laughs) I had a friend um, who really struggled with coming out. Yeah. And he um, did grow up in the church as well. Yeah. In the South. And he said, um, I I knew (laughs) from very, for for many years. And he would continuously sort of go on these talks or rants, you could even call them, about different women. And it's not my place to say maybe there is an attraction to a woman. Fluidity is something, thank God, one of the good things about Gen Z is they're really opening up this door about not putting labels on something. I love that, by the way. And that's amazing. I would rather somebody be slow to label themselves than to mislabel them early Mm, on. Because I think like that, that was, I wish, and I know like, when I came out, there was people like, oh, you had it easy. You were so masculine and presenting and you f- you could fit in. I was right. like, well, the same in the same breath, you're calling that easy. I wish that I would have had a little bit more feminine qualities because <laughs> I wish somebody could have challenged me at a younger age so I could have came out a little earlier. It would have helped you. Mentally. Yeah. And I think like, you know. But all of this them are new, okay. This new era, not only just not only with sexuality, but gender, just everything. It's like. Like, let them live their lives and figure out what they want to be. Slow to label yourself versus mislabeling yourself. I would much rather people not have a label than to mislabel themselves. Yeah. It it was so interesting with my friend. um, When he finally did, he had a lot of shame around not – he was a gay person who did not want to be gay. Yeah. And I said, but why? And he said, well, it's going to be harder. I said, well, there's no doubt about that in certain parts of the world. It absolutely will be. But is there another reason? I felt there was something else there. And – we grew up in a um, 
very white picket fence town. Yeah. And he said, well, I want the white picket fence. I want the career. I want the wife. I said, but well, well, why is all that one picture? You are going to. He's an incredibly intelligent man, really accomplished guy. And I said, but why wouldn't you have that? And he said, for some reason, the white picket fence and the wife somehow were the same image. And I said, but you will have a white picket fence. You are going to have a great life. You're going to have a great relationship. And so it was really unconditioning this idea that he was prejudiced upon himself. Hmm. And I would argue it wasn't necessarily him. It was the societal conditioning around him that made him prejudiced against himself. Um, And so undoing this idea that the white picket fence there were so many versions of that, and they were all white picket fences. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I think I tied in a wife and family in the same breath and in the same picture. Mm-hmm. It's like in order for me to have a family, I had to have a wife. And mm-hmm. and most of that was just lack of me wanting to pay attention to the gay community. Like mm-hmm. I didn't want to even look in that direction. I didn't want to educate myself at all. Um, so it, that definitely I can relate to because I – thought that I was giving up a family by being gay. Um, And now I know that is not the case. And um, yeah, there was just a lot. How did you navigate the emotional ups and downs? I mean, obviously you said medication became abusive at one point, but were there other outlets that you had uh, when you were making these changes once the blackmail came up, once you said, okay, it's time to face this? What uh, what was that emotional journey like? It was tough, uh, really letting people in. And then, like, I mean, I also documented my coming out experience for Netflix and I had cameras up, which I actually loved because not because I wanted to be back on camera. (laughs) I loved it because it held me accountable. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you were entering a day into a scene into, like, you know, you had people that were sort of holding your feet to the fire and saying – you have to have this conversation that you put off for 28 years, 29 years while I was filming. It's also structure to a certain extent. Exactly. <laughs> and I and I really liked it yeah. because like I knew in that moment I had to come out to whoever I was sitting with because mm. not only not only did I say I was going to, I have now cameras and an expectation to do it. And um it ended up being very healthy for me to film it and and especially watching it back and and putting it out into the world as much criticism as it got and as much as people disagreed with the way that I handled things. And trust me, I was only doing my best at the time that I knew I could do. I'm really proud of it because, you know, I look back and even see that version of myself and I'm like, wow, I've come so far since that even. And I felt at that time I was really trying to, you know, do my best. And, um, that's just, I think like, that's what I'm understanding right now is like, you only know what you know, you can only do the best that you feel like you can do at any given time. And as long as you grow, you're on the right track. Was there any moment where you questioned how to come out? Um, yeah, because I didn't want it to come out in the tabloids. I didn't want it to come out you not on my terms. I wanted right. to control the narrative, right. which like, you know, we're, you know, we're talking about releasing. I was talking about releasing control and not being in control. That was definitely one that I needed to have mm. a little control over. Um it came to that boiling point and you're like, this is the one thing I need to go my way is not going to go my way. Yeah. And I mean, I was yeah. so publicly like I was the face of a franchise that is the most straight franchise in all of America. <laughs> so it's like you, you can't, you know, uh, you can't once you can't really undo that. 
Yeah. You know, and then once somebody does, it becomes a whole media storm in itself. And I was really scared about how all of that was going to be handled and come out if it wasn't from my mouth and from my, you know, my point of view and what I went through. So, yeah, it just. uh, Did you feel like you uh, felt any compassion from either anybody in the bachelor world or outside of the bachelor world of there's one way of looking at the story of, oh, he's deceived everybody. But at the same time, there's this man walked into something. What's going on internally with that person that they felt the need to do this? What does that say about their internal struggle, about their internal argument with themselves? Yeah, I still having compassion around that. I still see, you know, comments even to this day of like, how did you go on you know, that show and lie and deceit everybody. And it's like, I think people are asking the wrong questions at times. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, how did someone like me get into that position? Right. That's that's, the real question. That's the real question. Exactly. Why did someone like me have to put themselves in that position to put on, you know, this front that they wanted to become straight and to try conversion therapy on themselves and all of these things is, you know, we're asking the wrong questions a lot of times in our, in our society Mm -hmm. and days. There's this case right now and this is a scenario that came up and it's Ole Miss football. There's this player who um, he went through a mental health crisis and didn't speak to his coaches for two weeks. He was on scholarship mm-hmm. and it's it's became a big story um, in the last two weeks. And right now everybody's like, well, he should be fired. He didn't talk to his coaches and his teammates for two weeks. And the question people should be asking is why didn't he feel why? safe or comfortable talking to his coaches why, and or why his did peers. he what? and it, and it's a big it, there's a lawsuit going on and it's it's a big story and I, as someone who's gone through an emotional breakdown and spiral you act irrationally right. you make up these scenarios in your head that is the definition of anxiety you run with it you spiral and you, you stonewall th- as a result yeah. and, and clam up the question we should be asking is why is there not a system put in place at these mm-hmm. universities for these college Kids, exactly. I want to just like kids versus a coach and an adult. Why aren't why aren't we putting them in a per, you know in it? Why aren't we giving them a chance to succeed? Why aren't we giving them a chance to um, get the help that they need? It's in, college in after way. all. <laughs> and and I think like that's that's my point right now is like we're asking the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're really sort of putting these pressure th- this pressure on people to be perfect instead of like giving them an opportunity to grow and prove like prove to themselves and prove to you that like they can grow into the best version of themselves. Compassion yeah. I think is is really missing. And thank God I think it's slowly changing, but like you said you're an early 90s baby, this particular young man is I think an early 2000s baby. Yes. And he's still yes. feeling the conditioning of mm-hmm. structure and hide. And you can only be forward facing when you're a fighter and you're at your best yeah. and you're ready to play the game. And anything else is just byproduct and waste. And in, there's no room for nuance. And it changes for cultures, too. I mean, this, this is right. a young black man, too. Like that comes from a completely different culture and background than, you know, my experience and what Mm. I've went through. But, you know, that was what was beautiful about being in a locker room is the melting pot of cultures. Mm -hmm. And like, even when we put those pads and those jerseys on, we were one unit and we we didn't care if, you know, one of my good friends and still is to this day is from a not so great part in Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. you know, and him and I 
found something in common and became friends. Nowhere in life would I become mm. would I have became friends with someone from that area or what he's gone One through. One of the beautiful babies of sports. Yes, is and like that's the, the part when you're talking about uncoupling. Like I want to keep that part. I want to keep the melting pot of what a locker room was. I want to keep a diverse group of friends. I want to keep the perspective that like we're all on the same team, although we are so different. That's the beauty of sport and why mm-hmm. like you're like, do you regret playing? It's like, no. I loved so many, so many things about football. I love the structure. I love how it taught me how to have a work ethic. I love that the melting pot culture of the locker rooms. There's so many great parts from that that like I'm definitely keeping with me. Are there, so there's of the habits you want to you want to carry forward. There's in your for life. sure. I think yeah. that's the the healthy part of uncoupling with yourself too. Is like there is you really have to take a step back and not be too jaded. Mm-hmm. Of like yes, I could blame somewhat of my staying in the closet on sport, but I could I also like have to point out the positives that I had in my life. Like I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be as successful today mm. if, if I didn't carry on the work ethic that. Do you feel like diet, exercise, um, a certain push through mentality? Although, like, so there has to be nuance with push yeah. through. But there is a certain amount of. Uh, I forget who says it. There's a, somebody that said um, one of these like self help podcasts said forty percent when you give it when you give your all it's usually forty percent mm. and you don't realize um, that. Ah, it's uh, Jesse Itzler, um, Sarah Blakely's husband from okay. Spanx. And so he's this ultra marathon runner and he uh, invited a seal to live in his house. Mm. And he said, how many push ups can you do? He did like six. He's like, okay, do two more. He's like, okay, now we're gonna do a hundred more. He's like, I can't do a hundred more. He's like, we'll get it a hundred more. It took many days, but he, but yeah. they got through a hundred more. And he said the six plus two was only 40%. Um, Usually when you're giving your all, mm. it might take a long time and a lot of nuance to get to the rest out of you. Yeah. But uh, do, so do you feel like there's yeah. any habits you've carried through? Yeah. So like. That have helped you in adulthood. For sure. And and just as much as like there's been positives that have come from keeping my work ethic and like what football has taught me. The one thing I am sort of leaving behind and uncoupling with is valuing my self-worth mm-hmm. off of the success that I have in my career. So like it was easy for me to do that when I was playing football because I had stats, I had wins and losses, I had games that I was playing. So like it was very easy numerically tracked. It was very easy for me to say like I'm winning right now, I'm doing well right now, I'm now making money when I started playing professionally. So like my self worth, I I tied that together. So I tied like my stats and how successful I was, and then now I'm in this business which is very (laughs) up and down. Yes, and. I, I early on was really very much so taking that same approach of right. valuing my self-worth and like giving myself kudos and pumping myself the up. And then of when it goes away, right? right? Like, you know, like oh, very yes, well, I know. Like, oh, yes, I you know. You can be on all the billboards, on all the, doing all the press. And then all of a sudden nobody's talking about you. And you're like, wait, I'm like, I'm not a, fa- I'm I not feel good. like a failure. I feel but like I'm a not, failure yeah, yeah. and I'm not successful anymore. And then. Yeah, and so I'm leaving that behind. Thank God. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm leaving that behind. It's a work in progress. That's the one that I'm currently in right now is very much so trying to continue to work my hardest without – I'm trying to be easier. Like I'm kinder to myself. I I really want to keep working hard, but I have to realize that like even if I can't get it right now, um, I still can find little moments of success throughout the day. Well, and the beautiful part about being an adult is – 
you were living parallel lives of different parts of your personality and identity. The great thing about parallel lives as an adult is you can have a professional life. Yeah. And your personal life, meaning like your community, your hobbies, your interests are actually what defines you. And your professional life is another parallel life that is no longer connected to your identity. Well, see, for me, though, that was one and the same because I did a reality TV show. Right. So my private life was not private anymore. And so now that's another one that I'm doing is like I've very much with my husband, we pulled, he does not like (laughs) doing podcasts, does not like walking carpets. He does not like taking photos and being in videos. So like it's healthy because I've now been able to separate my private and my public life and my mm. career and what from has that my done life. For you? It's been so healthy. <laughs> it's been so good. I like I actually think the franchise is great. The 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 Bachelor franchise is is good. I think public relationships are a recipe for disaster. I think it's just too it puts much pressure. Too much pressure on you. And also like you really at the end of the day don't owe people anything when it mm-hmm. like you did that show, you have that moment. I think I was 25 or 26 when I was filming that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you're supposed to do in your 20s, right? Like, go have fun, take a risk and do your thing. But like, now I'm 31. I'm, you know, want to start a family. I want, like, I need my privacy. I need to have my my moments back to myself. So that's that's what I've been doing. And it's been the best ever. Mm. So. That's, that's, yeah, I would say that's, it's funny that you put so much, pre- it's not funny, it's funny in a satirical way of you put so much pressure on yourself as a child and then as a teenager yeah. and then you inadvertently, I think subconsciously, put so much pressure on, pressure's all you really knew. I liked pressure. You you had a great, you, you thought you had a great relationship right. with pressure because I, that's what drove you. Exactly. Yeah. And then now it's like completely redefining it and changing it. Well, that's growing up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and not being able, you know, it's it's a it's a little bit of pressure professionally, I think is good. Yeah. Um keeps the drive and the motivation, but personally there's t- way too much nuance in a personal relationship to to put a lot of pressure on that. Yeah. And especially for if one party is public facing and the other isn't, mm-hmm. there's no reason that there should be any expectation or, you know, yeah. obligation to to have to overshare. And were there any unexpected hurdles that you just did not see coming at all? Like once now you've entered and pivoted to a, a more authentic version of yourself yeah. and a much calmer version and yeah, not yeah, as yeah. anxiously ridden. Are there anything – is there anything that you've um, – it's almost like when you expect the – as an actor, you're like, oh, well, once I get this, I'll be happy. Or once I get this, I'll right. be filled. Is there any unexpected hurdle you've seen on the quote-unquote other side that you're like, oh, and this is actually just me and this is a character flaw that I personally have that it's nothing to do with my sexuality? Yeah. That I mean – Grappled with. I think that I um, I had like a weird – I didn't really ever have like an emotional relationship with a man. So there was always that like hesitation for me. It's like, well, how do you know if you haven't been in an emotional mm. relationship? It's only been purely physical and like you had carried a lot of shame around that. Um, and then after being in a relationship with Jordan, my husband, yeah. it's – the healthiest and best thing. I love Aww. being with a man. It's just like, I, it's so much easier communicating. And I can compare that because I did date women. So it's like, I just like know the dynamic you know. of the relationship. And it's it's so much different. I sort of needed that that energy in my life. And I needed, I needed that. Oh. So, 
Yeah, it's, it, you can't explain it until you're, like you're in it and you experience it. Are you so? Are you glad that you took the path that you did? I am. I mean, as messy and as wild as it was, and probably still will be at times in our life. Um, I am because I don't think you know. I don't think there would have been a scenario or situation in my life that would have forced me out like that did. Mm-hmm. You know? I was going to say. I mean, you you sound like a pretty determined. Um, just been in grin and bear it kind of guy. And yeah. so, you know, you, your, your mental strength is pretty insurmountable, especially it's not surprising when you were carrying so much pressure on yourself as a child Yeah, that uh, it was going to take swinging from the rafters to, I know. To, to really make you look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. And I think like yeah. that's, that's now why I'm so focused on doing what I'm doing in DC is just because like when I can now reflect on my life and figure out where did this pressure start, um, it all points back to college. And, you know, you, you, those are your formative days and like you're really trying to figure yourself out. You're not a man yet or a woman yet, but you're also not a boy or a girl. And, it, it, you know, Britney Spears said it right, guys. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, how, you know, how can I help and impact the most amount mm-hmm. of people? And what we're doing with this bill and the Teams Act is, I think, going to be super impactful and powerful to a lot of kids mm-hmm. and young adults out there. Um, so, yeah, I think like it's a full circle moment for me. To is be able that, to get back to this. Would people. you say that's one of the moments that made you realize you were on the right path is what you've been able to do with the Teams Act? For sure. I mean, just I, the perspective that I have now on pressure and my mental wellness and my my whole entire journey is now something that like I feel a responsibility to give back um, and, and use for good. And what would you say is the, how do you maintain that healthy balance between self-improvement now? Because that was such your story yeah. growing up and now self-acceptance. What's your relationship like with that balance now? I think I have the right uh, support system set up. Mm-hmm. I think like that's the easiest way for me to explain it is like I have the right people around me. I have the most diverse group of friends that I've ever had in my life. And I'm so proud of that. And I think they hold me accountable. I think my husband holds me accountable. I actually have people that I've let in enough to now be able to call me out on things or moments or actions or thing, just anything that like does not sit right versus in the past, my life was so compartmentalized and I didn't let people in enough to let them feel comfortable to call me out on anything. So now allowing people to have, feel safe of like approaching me and I'm like, hey, I want to challenge you here. Mm. I think that's, that's like the. Being cracked open feels so yeah. much better than that. that and it also feels good shell. for me that like, I know that I have friends and family and people who can push and challenge me and like, I'm not going to run away or shy away. Like I'll lean into it and. You can, you can recognize it as self-care and yeah. those caring for you. Yeah. And it feels good. Like the, the same thing that I was afraid of, like at times to keep them away. Now I'm like sort of encouraging. It's like, I, I like that. Because how are you supposed to like grow or expand your views and stance on things when you don't know? If you aren't challenged or you aren't... Uh, yeah. I think there's debates and arguments are two very different things. And being able to feel uncomfortable with your friends, you had to feel uncomfortable with yourself first, totally. I think. Totally. And it's very... Trust me, it's very, very, very uncomfortable. The whole coming out experience <laughs> was very uncomfortable for me. Um, but I sort of like... I'm sort of in this phase of life where I'm like, I love uncomfortable moments now because mm. it's like there's an appreciation and a takeaway after they happen that you only get in those moments. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just think like pushing myself, you, you hear it all the time, you know, challenging and pushing yourself in, outside your comfort zone. And it's like, well, 
outside of your comfort zone is uncomfortable moments. So as long as you're good with that, <laughs> you can do it. And I think it's healthy. So our next segment is called Lightning Round. One word answers, one sentence answers, mm. and first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay. When was your first breakup? Uh, high school. High school. And who was your first crush? Oh, gosh. Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. Donuts or bagels? Donuts. What is your go-to breakup movie? How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That's a great one. What is your breakup song or band album? Oh, Usher. Sure. <laughs> Stress food. Nachos. Uh, first thing you did after breakups? Exercised. That's the athlete in you. Yes. <laughs> what is your number one red flag? Poor communication. Mm. And what is your number one green flag? Um, vulnerability. Uh, what is one fun quirk of yours that you love or that your partner loves about you? Um, I'm the worst singer, but I still love to sing. <laughs> <laughs> And what was the moment you knew Jordan, your husband, was the one? After our first weekend together. I don't, you just knew. I, I just knew. Like, I don't know, the first time we held hands. Oh. Yeah. Uh, our last segment is Words of Wisdom. Okay. And we ask all our guests at the end of our interviews uh, something that helped guide you through your own self-coupling or a piece of advice you would help someone contemplating their own self-coupling. The thing that I've been realizing and that I think can help people is to stop comparing traumas. Mm. Nobody's journey and nobody's trauma is the same. I think having an appreciation and patience, not only with yourself, but with other people is the healthiest way to go. I think um, trauma is something that is not meant to be compared. Trauma is not meant to be compared. Yeah. Have compassion. Compassion. That's compassion. the biggest one. Compassion and love. and external compassion. Yes. Well, thank you so much yeah. for being so candid. And self-breakups... Are such? Have you ever read The Artist's Way? I haven't. Uh, I'm going to write that down, though. I will. So. I will. Yes, Julie okay, It's a great. Uh, you take yourself on dates, and you go through this process oh, of discovering your. I could have used that a, a couple years ago. <laughs> I know. I should have. I should have slipped a note under the yeah, your right? hands. Darn. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being so candid. It. Yeah. it I think it's going to help a lot of people, and especially breaking up. Breaking up, Freudians. <laughs> breaking out this conversation and unpacking student athlete lifestyles. Yeah. Is something that is has not been talked about enough. So I'm It's hard years of your life. It's also the most like it's most challenging. It's the most defining. Professionally and personally. You're uh, expected just to do this overhaul of an identity. Yes. Uh, and checklist. nowadays with money and with fame, it's my heart goes out to them. It really yeah. does. Well trying to make a change. Glad you're doing that with yeah. the Teams Act. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Uncoupling. And don't forget to subscribe to our exclusive Patreon channel. See you next week. Uncoupling Podcast is produced by Stampede Ventures, Jason R. Ellis, and Holland Roden.